It's good to see everybody. Uh, once again, my name is Jeremy. For those that don't know me or recognize me, one of the other pastors here on staff uh, with Patrick and Michael and work alongside Danielle and Christy and so many. And it's just an opportunity to share this morning with you. Have y'all by a show of hands, and, and I am kind of interactive, so if that makes you nervous, you can look down. That's okay. I won't judge. Uh, <laughs> how many of y'all, you're a fan. Of, like, you've got that one friend or that one person that they're just incredible storytellers. Anybody be willing to say, I know at least one person. It's okay to raise your hand. Okay, we've got about three hands going up. The rest of you are like, I don't know if I need to move right now. I'm really not sure. I'm not going to call on you to give an example or anything, so you're safe there. But I think it's pretty clear to say that we all love good storytellers. We love those people that can just engage us, whether it's a serious story um, and it gets to our hearts, we start crying, or it's a funny story and we start crying there just because we're laughing so hard, or it's just a good uh, experiential story. We love them. We, we get sucked into them. Our emotions are mentally, we're involved physically sometimes. We're just on the edge of our seats, just, just involved and engaged and loving it. And I got a friend, uh, he's back in Georgia, and Patrick actually worked with him. His name's Tim Smith, and he's been up here for the carnival uh, for the past several years, so maybe some of you have seen him or met him there. Uh, but he is a storyteller. Now, there's a difference in a really good storyteller and somebody that can just take forever to tell a story. Am I right? Okay. And, uh, and one summer, he uh, went to summer camp. I was a student pastor in Georgia, and so we're taking our kids to summer camp. Uh, we're in the northwest corner of Georgia, and we're going up into South Carolina in the Greenville area for a week of summer camp. And he's one of our chaperones, one of our counselors that's going with us. And so he and I are in the, uh, the passenger van. We've got about 15 kids with us, a trailer full of all the, the rest of the kids' luggage, and there's a bus behind us with about 40 more kids. And so we're heading down the interstate. And to, to kind of help with this, we got... Uh, going down to 75 to 285, which would take us about 45 to 50 minutes. I just want to give you a time frame. You may not be able to reference these highways. These are all in Georgia. Like, I don't know. These are just numbers. So I'm going to give you the time frame, too. So that's about a 45-minute drive. Uh, from there, we would get on 285 for maybe 15 to 20 minutes to get on 85 north because we want to go from Georgia. We've got to go down to Atlanta to go up to South Carolina. It's the craziest thing you ever thought when you look at a map. It's like, why can't I just go straight? And you're like, oh, take days. And so... Roughly about an hour and a half just to get to 85. Then we got another about three hours, including lunch, to get to South Carolina. He started his story in the church parking lot. He finished the introduction when we got to 85. An hour and a half later, he had just finished his introduction, just building up this story. And it was about a time that he had took a group to student camp himself, and their van had broke down, so they had to rent. They rent this big old Lincoln Continental Town car. So if you, any, any old school in here, it's like the old mobs car. They're about six miles long, uh, but they ride like, it's like riding on a cloud, really. I had one in high school because my car broke down, so I had to get, drive to school in an 86 Lincoln Town car. I had to get there before everybody because it's so long I couldn't park if somebody was there already. I had to get there super early so I could whoop that thing around, you know, and park. But he was talking about the story where they were in the Lincoln Town car. They sent about six students. They had to stuff all their luggage in the trunk, and halfway down the interstate, they hit a bump, and the trunk pops open. The luggage whoosh, all down the interstate. And they're having to pull over, track, you know, chase each other's clothes and everything else around. But just to even build up to that, he'd spend an hour and a half just introducing, just kind of building the stage. And I don't know if any of you know somebody like that. You're just it's like, when are you going to get to the story, okay? I just want to hear the story. I, you know, you just spend so much time building up. Then you got them that get to those stories, man, just absolutely engages. And I think just by our reaction this morning, it's pretty clear we all enjoy a good storyteller. Patrick's a good storyteller. We've had some fun with him. You should ask him about our trip to Maine. Uh, last fall and the smell in the rental car um i still think it's him but he denies it but it's okay uh he's not in here to defend himself so i can say these things right now so it's safe uh but but speaking of this concept of storytelling 
Uh, obviously, this is what this series is, is uh, called The Storytelling. We're focusing on how <laughs> see, and we can, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and we're going to focus on, we're ignore him, it's okay. We're going to focus on Jesus, who uh, was arguably one of the greatest storytellers in, in history. And we're going to look at another one of his parables. You know, Michael looked at a parable on the importance of prayer and letting it be a constant thing in our lives. And then last week, Patrick, uh, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and how we need to be looking for those in need and, and to maybe sometimes even go out of our way uh, to help them and to love on them uh, no matter the circumstance or situation. Just find a way to serve. And this morning we're going to continue this series by looking at one of the most popular, well-known, beloved parables of them all, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, this is the parable that uh, many authors that are not believers have even said is one of the greatest short stories there are. Uh, this story is uh, tremendously impactful. And just to give a little bit of context of this story, this is Jesus sharing story, and he is on his way to Jerusalem at this point in his life and in his time of ministry to be crucified. Okay, so that's kind of the journey he is on as he is heading to Jerusalem. I want to read two verses to you uh, just real quick. And these are, uh, we'll be in Luke 15 uh, this morning. And the first two verses of the chapter give us an idea of who the audience is. And I think that's very important for us this morning. So I just want to read those two verses, share a few things with you, and then I want to read the parable to you this morning. So uh, in verse 1 it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Speaking of Jesus, because he was sitting there sharing with them. Verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Just to give a little background, in that day, as far as the, the view of the Pharisees and the scribes, which are the religious leaders of that day, they were all about this, this holiness and pursuing holiness with your life. And so if you're trying to pursue holiness, you can't hang out with the sinners, okay? Because they'll make you unclean, they'll make you unpurified. And so they would even criticize them, they would ignore them, they tried their best to keep away from them. Yet here they see Jesus sitting down with them, eating with them. And in that culture, to eat with somebody means you accept them. Right? Now, Jesus didn't um, you know, cater to their sins. He didn't uh, compromise his message. He didn't just jump into sin with them. Jesus simply cared for them because he knew that was what his mission was. And so you've got this half this audience, man, they're, they're glued in, and you've got the tax collectors and the sinners. And the reason they're separate is because in that time, tax collectors were actually thought even lower on the pole than sinners because most of the tax collectors were other Jews taking the taxes from their fellow Jews, but they would add a little extra that would go in their pocket. There would be some they would collect that would go to the Roman government, and then they would maybe add a certain additional percentage that they would charge them, then they would pocket that. And so uh, the Jewish people were like, you're one of us, and you were taking advantage of us, you are mistreating us. And so they were very low <laughs> on the totem pole and the views of culture at that time especially. And so these Pharisees are looking, why is this man eating with the lowest of lows? Why is he doing this? This is crazy this is ridiculous he should not be spending time with these people and so to give you that context there i now want to read to you the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son this is luke 15 we'll be reading verses 11 through 32 so i'm gonna read it in its entirety and then we'll kind of walk back through and just unpack it a little bit this morning so here we go starting in verse 11 he also said and this is jesus speaking a man had two sons the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. 
Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you so much for your word. Help us to, to see what's going on here. Help us to hear what you're trying to teach us and to understand what it is that you want us to do. God, we thank you for this incredible parable this story and uh, and how you've shared it with us and how we can find encouragement hope and challenge and change and find you in its midst so be with us this morning god bless the teaching of your word in jesus name amen amen well this is one of my favorite parables I absolutely love love this story there's so much uh power in this to me so much love and grace in these words that it, to me is sometimes just overwhelming there's a specific part that just it just gets me fired up every time and we'll get to that in just a minute. So we're just going to start in verse 11, just kind of walk through it, just kind of paint a picture culturally. And then at the end, we're going to look at it. Because the thing about a parable, it's, a, you know, it's an earthly story with a heavenly uh, or spiritual meaning or truth involved there. And many times in these stories, there are opportunities for one for us to learn something about God, get a, a glimpse of who he is, maybe get a better understanding of a characteristic of him, uh, understanding of him. But also, many times, there are opportunities for us to find ourselves in this story. You see, where do, where do I fit into this story? So at the end, we'll close with that kind of direction. But picking up in verse 11, it said, uh, Jesus also said, a man had two sons. Pretty clear, we got a father, two sons. Pretty straightforward there. Uh, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him. I give my parents grief all the time when they buy things that I think are dumb. Like, Look, that's my inheritance. You're spending. I need you to quit, okay, because I want to have some when that time comes in life. And they just shake their heads like I'm joking. And I keep looking. I was like, look, I'm serious. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I was like, you've earned it. You spend it. That's fine. And we joke around with it. And it's no big deal. In this culture, for this young son to make a request like this, it's pretty much him telling his father, look, I wish you were dead. I just want, what you, I just want what's mine. Okay? I want my part of the inheritance now. Okay? I just need you to die. I want to do my own thing. Uh, very hurtful. In this culture, extremely disrespectful and dishonoring to the father. 
uh, it's just one of those things like in the study and I was doing this, uh, they said you could probably have assumed that the crowd that Jesus was telling the story to probably gasped in that moment. Like, oh my goodness, how would a son or why would a son do that? It was a very hurtful, very painful thing. And in this day, uh, the older son of the family would get, uh, in this case, he would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third because the older would, when the father passed, he would become the new head of that household, the new patriarch of that, and he would need to take care of all things. And so he would get more. And I've also tried to e- extend that biblical truth to my parents in the inheritance, and they ignore that too, which I find very rude. Um, and I'm still pushing to get half, and then the other two brothers split the other half. You know, I just think it's right that we obey the scriptures there. Um, and they ignore that. So pray for that, please. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Now, as disrespectful as this request was, it could be done. It could be done where the father, what he would do, he would split up the inheritance between the two sons, and they could kind of see what's coming, but they still would not get it until his passing. Okay, so what to me is just mind-boggling is that he distributed the assets to them. There's another moment where this audience would have gasped, like, what? What do you mean he gave it to them? It's pretty crazy, because in this story, what we can do is when we look at the Father, we can see God. And how many times in our own lives, he just freely gives us what it is we ask for. Even though sometimes he knows it's going to hurt us. Even sometimes he knows this could lead uh, to a lot of pain in our, our lives, a lot of regret. He still allows us that freedom there. And so we see this younger son, we see that he is very rebellious uh, in his life there. And so we keep on going on. Not many days later, pretty much as soon as he could, the younger brother gathered together all he had. That gathering together of all he had, he cashed out, okay? He got all of his inheritance, and he got the cash, okay? He went for the cash option, so he probably lost a little bit of the value, a little bit of the worth there, but he just wanted quick cash real quick. So, I mean, it's just like a continual slap in the face of his dad. It's like, look, I need my stuff. I need it now. A few days later, as quick as he could, he gathered it all, got that cash, went to a distant country, and that distant country is outside of Jewish territory. He went to a Gentile country, so he kind of went somewhere where he could do whatever he wanted. Nobody's going to know him. It's no big deal. He just says, I'm going to have complete freedom. Do what I want, how I want, when I want, with who I want. Just all this freedom. He's singing, I've got it figured out. Haven't you been that way before when we were younger? I got this figured out, Mom. I know what I'm doing, okay? Yes, I know I'm just 17, but I know I've got it all figured out. I know everything, how the world works. Just leave me alone. Okay, you know nothing. You're too old. Okay, we have those. Maybe it's just me that had that moment with my parents. I don't know. Everybody's just looking at me like, I don't know what he's talking about right now. I'm not sure what's going on there. But that's kind of what we're seeing here is that this younger son is just going to kind of sow his wild oats, so to speak. So he goes to a distant country where, shocker, he squanders all on foolish living. Squandered it. He wasted it. The word prodigal actually means wasteful, which I thought was kind of cool. The story of the prodigal son, he he has all this inheritance has been given to him in a time that was very disrespectful way and manner, and yet he goes off, squanders it all in foolish living. Then after he had spent everything, so he's kind of at the bottom right there. He's like, okay. The good times lasted for a little while there, okay? <laughs> I was living it up, but now my pockets are empty. My bank account's empty. It goes on. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country. So I don't know about y'all. Anybody, how many of y'all feel like, you know, when bad things happen, they kind of come in pairs, so to speak, sometimes? It's like something small happened, can I get you knocked down? You think, okay, I'm going to get back up there. Bam, you just get hit by something else. You're like, is this ever going to stop? It feels like you just keep getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. I'm pretty sure the younger son was kind of at that moment, but sometimes... We've got to hit bottom before we see where we need to be. You know, sometimes it takes us hitting the bottom for our eyes to be opened, our reality to be experienced for what it really is, and for God to get our attention. Uh, sometimes we just need to be stopped in our tracks, so to speak. Um, I remember 
back in 2009, I was, uh, had a trip to Chicago planned. I was going to go to a youth pastor's conference there. I had a few extra days. I was going to enjoy it. And it's kind of a, a time and season in my ministry where, uh, honestly, I'd kind of gotten into a groove of how things worked, what we were doing. We were in a good, good place. And, and I'd kind of quit relying on the Lord. And I'd kind of just said, hey, I've got this going, God. You've got us here. Thank you. I'm going to move forward here. I, I know what we need to do. We're in a rhythm. We're in a pattern. It's just the same things. We're just going to keep doing the same things. And I just kind of set the Lord to the side in my own life. It kind of just went out on my own. Well, he got my attention in a big way. I started feeling, uh, one day we are in a staff meeting. I started feeling these pains in my abdomen. I'm like, ooh, ooh. It was like a cramp. I'm thinking, okay, I had a bad lunch. No big deal. I'm just going to kind of quietly go home. We'll be okay. Well, this lasted for almost three weeks. It got progressively worse and worse. Uh, and after four visits to the ER for, like, fluids and, and medication, morphine. <laughs> and uh, 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 morphine was, yes, okay, the Lord was good to me in the form of that clear substance there because that was the only thing that would ease the pain at all we tried hydrocodone everything up to that and so i was very grateful I ended up having a, a bacterial infection in my large intestines and they said it was like the shape of corkscrews and so when it would get irritated it just kind of drill into the side of my intestines so it was very excruciating uh, pain and so thankfully god just really lined it up to where in my in the fifth hospital visit we went to a completely different hospital uh down the road and the doctor specifically for that part of the body was there Another doctor that could recommend me was already there. It's like God had just kind of lined it up, thankfully. But it took him kind of knocking my feet out from under me. I really felt like that was a moment where God was getting my attention because I had ignored numerous times before that. And I feel like that's what the younger son is kind of going through right now. He's just getting the life knocked right out from under him. The Lord is showing grace. Get his attention there. And so he, had, uh, after he spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, um, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good, that famine. So then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he was working for a Gentile because Jews thought pigs were nasty. They were unclean animals. They had nothing to do with them. Okay, so here you got this young Jew um, man working for a Gentile, which a lot of the Jewish leaders looked down on that as well. Now he's serving pigs, which they find are just an unclean animal. And so what Jesus is doing for this audience is painting a picture of this son that's really just kind of hit the lows. Like, yeah, we're not going to have anything to do with this guy. We're not going to have anything to do with this guy. He has disrespected his father, dishonored his father. He's going in there now. He is serving with Gentiles. He is serving with pigs. He squandered his father's estate after that disrespect in all these sinful ways. And so Jesus is really building this story for his audience in a big way. And the, and the son got to a point where he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. I don't know. I've, I've only kind of been around like pigs in that nature very like one time in my life. Okay, listen, I know I'm from Georgia, and some of you probably thought it was like an everyday thing. That's not the case, okay? Um, it was more like if you go to a, a county fair, you'd see a bunch of the pigs, and they were intimidated. They're massive animals that are at the fair, and they just kind of just dump a mess in a, in a, a trough so it looks like, you're like oh, that's nasty, and the pigs are just eating it up. It's just, a, to me, it's just a picture of like, this, this young man was desperate. This man was in a tough place where he was looking at the food they're dumping for these pigs. He's like, oh, man, what I'd do just to maybe try a little bit of that. And it doesn't say he did, thankfully, and hopefully he didn't. Ooh, that's rough. And he goes, but nobody would give him anything. So he's he's really at the bottom right now. But I love this in verse seventeen. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, you know, we all need to have those moments where we just kind of get that aha kind of experience in our lives, uh, where we realize the situation we've kind of placed ourselves in, and we realize our need uh, for Christ. We realize our need for God. We realize our need. For help, we just realize that we're in a situation where we need help. And so he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying. I will get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I love that. This son has gotten to that point where he's not only realizing he has made a mistake, but he's like, I need to make this right. I need to make this right. And this concept of him saying, uh, I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned in your sight, is him going through repentance. Him confessing his sin, not only to God, but also to his father. And then this moment right here, it's kind of his thoughts that are going on in his head that he's going to say to his father. So he's had this moment, and I love, so he got up. I don't know about you, but many times I'll kind of get excited about something, kind of put a plan together, like, yeah, it's going to be great. And then like an hour later, I forgot about that plan. I'm doing something else. I never really did anything with it. Maybe you've been there before. I'm not going to judge if you have. You know, it's okay, I think. To some degree, maybe in some ways, a lot of us have been to those places before where we're like, I'm going to move forward in this. I'm going to make this change in my life or this adjustment in my life. For me, a lot of times it's been, I'm going to stop drinking Mountain Dew, okay? Um, I, it's a problem, okay? I have a problem. I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. And I, I enjoy it. I thoroughly love it. My teeth are probably like half gone because of how much I've drank. And I know it's not good for me, okay? I know that. Nobody has explained to me the sugar content, uh, eat your teeth, eat your insides, whatever. You don't have to explain that. So many times I'll put a plan. It's like, you know, I need to stop drinking Mountain Dews, okay? And it'll go good for like two days. Then maybe the headaches will come in. I'm like, <sighs> you know, I'm hating everybody because I got these caffeine withdrawal headaches from Mountain Dew. And so I was like, I'm looking around, see if I know anybody can get a Mountain Dew, check it real quick or something. You know, just real quick, have this plan and kind of go away from it. But what I love about this, this story and this picture this painter right here is this younger son put a plan together. And so he got up and he went to his father. He's like, I got a plan. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm focused on this. I'm going to do it. And he does it. And I love this picture. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. To me, this paints an incredible, incredible picture of the father. Because this wasn't just a random, like, he looked one day and, oh, we happened to see him. To me, this shows a picture like this father had been walking that area of his property. He'd been looking for several days, many times up to that point, just waiting. Oh, maybe he's coming today. Maybe today is going to be the day he, he comes back. Oh, I miss my son. I'm worried about my son. I love my son. I'm, I'm concerned for my son. And it says, as the son was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. To me, this, this verse, verse 20, is just incredible. It encourages me. The grace that is in this, especially for me, because I picture this father as God. And we see this father, because see, here's the thing about this son. He's coming back. He's probably got his head down, because he don't know what kind of reception he's going to get. Because based on Old Testament Jewish law, he could be disowned because of how he disrespected his father. He could be beaten because of how he disrespected his father. He could even be killed because of the way he disrespected his father. So, I mean, the fear is probably all over the scale. Like, I don't know what kind of reception I'm going to get, but I'm just going to march forward. I'm just going to say my piece. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to try to do everything I can to make this right. And the father sees him, and he's filled with compassion, and he ran. He ran. I want you to get this, because in this day, the father wasn't dressed like me. He didn't have on some khaki slacks and a, and, a, and a polo that he found on sale at Macy's, okay? He didn't have that. He wasn't rocking that. At this time, the father, he's got like a robe on with a little undergarment. So imagine this. To run, he has to pick that robe up like a, a lady in a skirt, Okay? Maybe that's something you're thinking. That's kind of normal for a dude. No, it's not. Okay, let's be clear. So he's, <laughs> he's going to have to pick this up. More than likely, his undergarments are going to be showing. So this is weird on multiple levels, in multiple ways. This is just kind of, if you're from a district, you're like, that is, 
wow, that, wow, that's happening. That's, honey, look at this. You'll never believe what our neighbors are doing this time. You know, it's one of those stories like this is strange because also in that culture, it was about being dignified and being respectful. And for a, a gentleman of his age to run, just as counterculture that completely. But just picture this father. He sees his son off from a distance, and he, it's like a, he just hikes up his skirt and starts sprinting to his son. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what anybody's going to say. All he sees is, that's my son. I love my son, and I'm going to him. And he gets up to him, and the son's probably thinking, oh, he's about to tackle me and beat me. And he just embraces him with this full hug. He kisses him on the cheek. It's probably one of those hugs where he grabs him, lifts him up, just squeezes him a few times, just shakes him maybe. He's probably crying. The son's probably just like freaked out, don't know what's going on right now. But then he starts crying, realizing, wow. What a picture of grace. What a picture of grace. I love, love this. So good. So good. And here's the the cool thing. Everybody else on their property, all the other family members, all the friends, all the, the hired workers, the community, they're watching because how the father reacts to the son, how the father receives the son, is how they're going to react and receive the son. Huge implications right here. And so this father embraces him and just, just accepts him right back in. And we'll see how completely he brings him back in. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So we see the son repenting and asking for forgiveness, trying to make things right with his father. And I love verse 22, but it says, but the father told his servants. And so it's pretty much like the father's like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. You're my son. Come on. He says, quick, bring out the best robe because this robe represents acceptance back into the family and put it on him put a ring on his finger so it gives him that sign of authority as he is a part of this family and put sandals on his feet so you see he's he's going he's hit the bottom because he is he has no sandals he has no shoes he's been barefooted this whole trip back and in that day servants did not wear sandals only the family members wore the sandals and so you see this 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 picture that is painted so clear with this robe with the ring with the sandals this is the father just saying you are back in the fold we welcome you back in we accept you back in and you probably could have seen the audience at that time go why would the father do that blow their mind again and then on top of getting all they says then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast you saved the fattened calf for like very very special occasion this is like a wedding feast type of thing that you're saving this calf for and so this is going to be a community-wide event okay so they have slaughtered the fattened calf that they've been growing and building up and preparing for this tremendous meal and he's like oh this son's returned we're going to celebrate this and so this would have been a community-wide event where they're going to see the father receive him they're going to receive him they're going to celebrate him just an incredible display of grace and love right here and he goes on the reason we're celebrating is because the son of mine was dead and is alive again he he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate what a great picture of love of grace and acceptance there through the father and you see this young son who has just hit the bottom and messed up in all ways one can and the father just embraces him back in with such grace it's just an incredible incredible picture there but we remember the first or verse 11 it said a man had two sons so we realize the story continues verse 28 or verse 25 rather i'm sorry now his older son was in the field so he had been working as he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. And the servant told him, Your brother is here, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So we see this older brother, he didn't even know what was going on. Uh, it's pretty clear he'd kind of written off his younger brother because he wasn't looking for him. He wasn't expecting him. 
Uh, he wasn't thinking anything was going to happen like this anytime soon. So he's been out working, excuse me, in the fields. Uh, and somebody has actually explained to him, like, what's going on uh, in this situation. Had no idea. And uh, once he found out what was going on, he got pretty upset about it, okay? He got pretty upset. And this wasn't just a casual frustration. This was a very high level of anger uh, that took place. And so we saw the younger son disrespect his father with the request for the inheritance. Now we actually see the older son disrespect his father just as much. And it uh, goes in verse 28. Then he became angry, speaking of the older son, and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been working for you. I've been slaving many years for you. I've been doing this. Uh, the work in the fields. I've been doing the work around the property. You know, your younger son took off. I had to pick up the slack there. I have been serving and busting my tail for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutions, he's devoured your inheritance, all these foolish livings, these terrible decisions, all these sinful decisions in his life, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. In that moment, that was extremely disrespectful. What this older son should have done is said, Hey, Dad, we'll discuss this afterwards right now. I'm going to show respect. We're going to go to this party. We did that afterwards. We'll discuss it. Instead, he made a public scene in front of the community arguing with his father like this. And so we see both sons have disrespected the father in completely different ways. We see the younger son, his disrespect with this rebellious attitude. And this older son was the more religious. It's like, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. I'm going to earn my keep. I'm going to earn your favor through what I do. And so he's thinking, I need to be rewarded. And yet here you've rewarded the son that all he's done is sinned. What's going on? Maybe you've been like that before you realize somebody's made some poor choices. You're like, why are they being celebrated right now? Why are they getting the recognition and I'm not? What's going on with this? That, that, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. I don't know what's going on with this picture right here. And that's what the Pharisees and the scribes were thinking right there in this moment. It's like, Jesus, why would, you, why would the Father ever accept a son like that that had done all that? You know, here we are with the religious leaders. We've, we are abiding by the law, okay? We are obeying the law. We are doing all these deeds. We're doing these good things to pursue and earn our holiness. It's like, why would you do that? So these, you've got these two audiences. You've got this younger son just rebellious to the father. You've got this older son very religious and ends up disrespecting uh, his father. He's very self-righteous, you know, this whole thing. I'm, I'm morally good by what I do. Look at what I've done compared to. To him, look how hard I've worked for you, that I've obeyed you. And I love what the Father says, Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. He's saying, Look, you already know what's all yours. All this that's here, this is yours. If you wanted a goat, just get a goat. You could have had a goat at any point. This is yours. Don't miss what's going on. And he says, But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This father is telling this older son and pleading with this older son, Open your eyes. And see what's right in front of you. And this is the message he was trying to get to the Pharisees in this audience. And the scribes in this audience realize, hey, open your eyes, guys. I'm right here in front of you. I'm right here in front of you. Salvation is grace through faith. There are no deeds we can do to earn it. If you remember the younger son who came to the father, he had nothing. He had nothing. And the father freely extended grace to him. Then you've got the, the older son who's thinking, I've got to do this, this, and this. So it's like Jesus plus, I've got to do all this to earn salvation. It's like I've got to earn this, all this, this self-salvation, so to speak. So the question, I think, that is for us this morning is, which are you? Which am I, the younger son or the older? Because we see in the younger son this rebellious son who always, you know, this rebellious spirit. They break the rules. They're very disobedient. 
many times rebellious people, they will use other people and hurt them in this. They're very unrighteous, you know, just through the way they live their lives. It's very clear the decisions they make are very filled with sin, very disrespectful to others, or dishonoring to the Lord. Uh, and, and their sin is very visible. Their choices are very visible. And many times they're, they're living a life where they're not worried about what anybody else thinks, uh, especially today's society, um, you know, on Facebook or social media. There's, I know I've got friends that just post every little thing they do, and some are like, oh, I can't, I've got to scroll past that. That's, ooh, it makes me uncomfortable. Or it's like, oh, man, you start, your heart gets heavy and broken for them because it's this lifestyle. Uh, they're living just out in the open, just very, very rebellious um, lifestyle. Then you got this older son. He's very religious. He keeps the rules. Okay, he's very obedient. And as the rebellious uses people, here's the thing. The, the religious judges people. Very legalistic. And honestly, if I'm being transparent this morning, I fall more in that religious uh, category uh, in a big way. Uh, I'm the oldest of three. And I never really, and I'm grateful. In hindsight, I'm grateful. Don't, don't mishear me. I never had a chance to sow my wild oats uh, because as a freshman in college, I, I, I jumped into ministry at the, the ripe old age of like 19 and 20 years old. And so God used... And I didn't know what I was doing, okay? I'll be clear up front. I didn't know what I was doing in ministry or how to do it. But God used that to protect me. And so, but what also happened in that phase is I began to say, look, look what I'm doing, God, okay? I know you've got to be proud, okay? Look what I'm doing. I'm obeying you. I'm serving you. I'm doing this, 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 and this. I'm reaching this people, these people, these people. I'm investing in these people, planning these events. God, I know you love Six Flags, God. I don't, but I know you do. And so we're taking these kids. It's going to be great. And so I find myself in this, and then I have two younger brothers who, uh, especially like my younger one, uh, Kyle, he's the one who looks just like me. He just has a lot more hair. He's got this long flowing mane of hair and, uh, and just lives it out, loves it up. And he went through faces like many of us did where, you know, he made a lot of poor choices. My, my middle brother was going through and made poor choices. We all have, but I, always, I got to this place one time where I had to really wrestle through thinking, you know what, I don't know why, Mom, you're still babying those two, okay? I don't know why, Mom, you're always reaching out, loving on those two. They've left the tribe, okay? They made some choices. Let's kick them out. Just feed it all right here, okay? Feed it all right here. You know, I've done all this good. And it's in that moment I had to say, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not how it works. It's grace. It's grace. And it doesn't matter if you're the religious or the rebellious. And the thing about the religious that's kind of tough is that they are, we're very self-righteous. We think we're better. Well, I'm better than the religious people or the rebellious people. I'm better than them. I'm smarter than them. I contribute more than they do. Okay, I'm helping. They're ruining everything. I'm holding it together. I deserve something. But many times our sin is invisible. On the outside, they're looking, okay, they're kind of bringing order and cast. But inside, internally, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of self-righteousness. There's a lot of critical spirit in this judgment. And it's all about self-salvation. And I was reminded of this great saying, and I don't, I don't want to take credit. It may have been me, but I doubt it. But it's not about what you or I can do. It's about what Jesus did. And, and many times, those of us in the religious, we're looking at what Jesus did plus what I'm doing to equal favor with God. But that's not how it works. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's through a relationship with Christ. It's through us accepting the grace that has been extended through him. And so there have been times where this rebellious has really fired up in me a little bit, but more than likely it's going to be that religious side where I'm getting judgmental and heavy and questioning. And maybe for you, uh, the struggle's been you've had spirits or seasons of rebellion or you've had seasons of being just super religious and judgmental. Whatever the case may be, this is what I want to challenge you with this morning because there's a third son in this story, and it's the son who tells the story. He's the key to this story. Jesus is not the rebellious son. He never sinned. He's not the religious son. He's the son of God. And so I want to challenge us this morning 
to be like the third son. That's what I want to challenge because he's friends with the rebellious. So those of us in here, you're feeling in, in mentally like I fall in that category. He's friends and he loves you. But the thing is, he never sinned. For those of us in this room, we may be falling into the religious category. Jesus is friends and loves those that are religious. But he's not religious. Because if you remember, he is on a mission at this point to get to Jerusalem, to die on a cross in our place, in your place, in my place, for our sins, to pay our debt. And when he rose three days later to give us new life. Because we all start like the rebellious son. We all start like a religious son. But because of Jesus, we can be like the third son. And I love this little saying that I'd, I'd read from a, another pastor. He said, Jesus Christ is how the father runs to us. Because we saw this great picture in this parable of the father seeing his son at a distance and just start running. There was no worried about what people were going to think or say. It's like, there's my son. I'm running. Jesus Christ is how the father runs runs to us. He's how the Father embraces us. He's how the Father kisses us, blesses us, adopts us into his family, clothes us with a robe of righteousness. And I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where it says, he made the one, speaking of Jesus, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he goes to the cross, and there's this, this great exchange where he takes upon himself all of our sin, your sin, my sin. For the rebellious, he takes all of your rebellion. For the religious, he takes all of your religion. And he invites us to put to death our rebellion and our religion to take on his righteousness. So now, just like the rebellious son, we stand before the Father empty handed, shoeless, and we can choose to receive this gracious gift of salvation that he extends to us, this gracious gift. Of righteousness, And the result is that we get to live a new life because the Son of God takes away our sin and gives us His righteousness to live a life that is holy but humble, to be helpful towards others, to live a life that has a heart of compassion and runs to those that are repentant, embraces them, kisses and welcomes them, is generous to them to extend the love of the Father that's been given to us. And as a family, I just encourage you and challenge you this morning, wherever you stand, whether it's rebellious, religious, run to Jesus. Let's pursue Jesus as a faith family. Let's pursue to be more like him, to surrender our lives to him, and to pursue him with all of our lives. And when we see those in need, when we see those that are, are truly turning and repenting and returning to the Lord, let's not stand there and point a finger and say, hey, I know what you did. But instead, let's be like the Father and embrace them and accept them and encourage them and help them as they go on this journey. Let's not be like the Pharisees and the scribes who judged reaching out to the outcasts, the sinners. But let's be like Jesus. Let's not get so caught up in their lifestyle that we end up falling and sinning ourselves. Let's not get in such a way where we're saying, okay, what you do is okay, but let's, let's love them where they're at. Let's meet them where they're at, and let's bring Jesus with us.